did upon the cross, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and dying to pay the penalty for our sins in full, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have not left us alone. You have sent your Holy Spirit, the paraclete, our helper. Help us to be walking in the Spirit, sensitive to your leading, Lord. Uh, As we look at this passage, help us to see not only that we're blessed in the United States, but we need to uh, press on. And we also must remember our persecuted brothers and sisters. Um, Thank you, Lord, uh, for the things that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, Help us to see the relevancy of the passage we're looking at today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last last Saturday... uh, the Arnold community had the Arnold uh, a banquet, um, and we were able to go to it for a little while before I was talking to a dear lady from Arnold, who, who uh, she's a strong believer, doesn't come, come to our church, uh, but she is involved in, in a lot of different things. And she was, while talking with me, asked me what the Lord has been teaching me lately. So I went into what I was, you know, had felt... Uh, or felt convicted from, a lot of it from this passage, a lot of it about just following the Lord. But then she gave me her little answer, which she thought she had heard from the radio recently. I think she had. I had heard it. And hopefully I have this right. But she said, this is what the Lord's been teaching me this week is, do I pray for restoration or do I pray for release? Do I pray for restoration or do I pray for release? And for me, the idea of restoration is not just to be free from the pain. Sometimes that's a release. Restoration is for the coming of the Lord, for others, for reconciliation, for others to come to know the Lord Jesus. But what are we praying for? And so for me, when I think of restoration... Uh, I think of um, that perfect walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and someday that perfect life, that eternal life that we will have with him. We have eternal life now, but we still deal with a lot of difficulties, don't we? A lot of difficulties. So we may go to Thanksgiving dinner. Anybody ever go to a family dinner and you know something is coming, right? Afterwards, you enjoy your meal and, okay, let's go play football or something. Wait. We have this freezer we need to move. Oh, okay. Or, or wait, there's this implement, old implement out there. We just can't get under it. Let's, if we could get a couple of big guys under it to lift it up, we could put this under it, and then we can, you know, do what we need to do. So we get there, and we have plenty of strong, you know, guys to be able to pick it up. But you, you get it picked up, and something's just not quite going right, or it's just not working out right. And, and so you start out really strong, and you're bearing under the pressure, and then, oh, I'm almost got, almost got it. No, no, just a little longer, right? Anybody ever been there? No? Okay. I have a couple of times, I think, or, or I just dreamt this up. I don't know. Anyway, but you're just there under the unbearable pressure, and it's becoming painful, and you hear, I've not quite got it. We're almost there. Hold on a little bit longer. You can do it, right? Just a little more. I'm almost there. Oh, that's fun, isn't it? 
Sometimes here in life, we feel that about everyday things. Don't you? Uh, as I was studying this passage a couple weeks ago, uh, Dandy and I were headed somewhere, and I thought, you know, uh, Dandy, how does this sound? I said, Dandy, what, what if we, I, I have the main idea, be brave and face persecution like a boss. She said, I don't like that, okay. Oh, really like a believer. Because here we have some believers in this passage that are facing persecution because of their faith, but also they're able to face the persecution because they're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so unless we're walking with the Lord, unless we're true believers, we will not face persecution like we should. Would you follow me as we read in this passage, Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. I'm going to read the whole paragraph here, 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Nice words, right? Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will, be, will not be hurt by the second death. All right, so one of the problems with preaching here on Sunday morning from this passage is we could probably go a lot more in depth and look at all the options and thoughts of this passage and some of the images of this passage, but we will not be able to do that here. And so just bear with me if I don't touch on every part. But there is a great deal for us to learn even if we don't come to a full understanding of all the intricacies of this passage. But let's break this down into three observations about the church of Smyrna. First, they were approved. Weren't they? In verse 8 and 9, it sure seems like they were be. They were getting encouragement from the Lord Jesus because he approved of them. There was Jesus' encouraging approval, we might say. But they were surely approved by Jesus here in these verses. Uh, what does it say about the Lord Jesus? Well, it says in verse 8, The first and the last who was dead and has come back to life says this and so as i was thinking about this it points to the fact that he's infinite right i believe it matters who says what to me whether it's something encouraging or discouraging really oftentimes if it's something discouraging something hurtful it it matters a little bit but it hurts one way or another doesn't it but if it's someone you really respect, it hurts a whole lot more. Here when we see 
the approval of Jesus, we need to understand who is Jesus. And it should affect us in, the, in a powerful way because who he is. And so this church, knowing who Jesus is and who is he, should receive this approval in a, in a profound way that would help them to march forward with what he was going to say after this. But who is he? He is the infinite one. And why would we say that from this passage? Well, you know, we, we know in the vision it says he's the Alpha and Omega. He begins and ends all things. Here it says the first and the last. I just want to point out the fact that he is a self-existent one. He is infinite. He does not need us to exist. He does not need us to get uh, approval or even us to worship him, but he chose to create us and have that relationship with us, but he doesn't need us like we need him. He's also the, the omnipotent one. They're approved by the omnipotent one. The work of Jesus was powerfully perfect. And why would I say that from this passage? The first and the last, who was dead and has come to life? Now, I don't think it's just talking about who he is today, but I believe that it's talking about a specific thing that the Lord Jesus Christ had done in the past. And what has he done? He died on the cross, didn't he? And he rose again. The past tense here points to the fact that it's speaking, I believe, to his death, burial, and his resurrection. And because of that, we can believe in who he is, and we can trust that what he says will be done. And therefore, we need to know that he is all-powerful, omnipotent, because he conquered the grave. They're also approved by omniscient one. Verse 9, I know. Now we're going to see this statement several time, more times, but I know. The Lord Jesus knows everything, right? He knows everything. I know. You cannot escape his flaming vision. If we go back to the, the vision that John had. Now, he uses this to address the next, another group later on. Here, it's not so serious. So he doesn't use, hey, the one with the flaming eyes, right? But he still, I know. The Lord knows. He may not have to judge them specifically because of the things that they are doing or not doing. But he does know what they're going through. They are not alone, and so this I know also points to that he is personal. He's a personal one. He's our, pers- our, our God, though he is set apart from his creation, transcends and cares and is involved intimately with his church, with his people. So Jesus is with them, them in it all. Jesus cares about the pain and suffering that they were going through. Um, But yet, unlike me, I often make bad decisions because of my emotions. The Lord God makes perfect decisions. And he may not remove them from their pain. He may say, hey, you're doing great. We're almost there. Keep doing it. 
bear under the pressure. So they were approved by Jesus. Does that still mean a great deal to you? Are you in a relationship with the Lord Jesus? Have you trusted in Him as your personal Savior? Because if you have, then, in your, then you have this and are able to have this wonderful, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And even when things are difficult, you need to know He's there and He loves you. They were approved as well because of their suffering. They were willingly suffering there in Smyrna. Smyrna, uh, modern day uh, Turkish city or city in Turkey called Izmir. Uh, there's just under 3 million people. I encourage you to look at the pictures. Uh, we have some missionaries we support in Turkey. I think it'd be neat to go there. It's like, you know, the ocean line is it's just east of Greece, modern-day Greece. Just beautiful coastlines. Uh, slightly mountainous there. But Smyrna uh, means myrrh, the fragrant perfume that is made through a pressing or crushing of the seeds. Pretty fitting for what they're going through, the pressing or the crushing of the Christians by uh, those who were persecuting them. And this was a free city. It was a city that was uh, hyper-Roman. I guess they were very patriotic, we might say, to the Roman Empire. They took worshiping Caesar, uh, their Roman ruler, seriously. They believed you should worship him. And so Smyrna and the next city, which is even more uh, in tune and serious about worshiping the emperor. Uh, So just like them, they would persecute those who would not offer the one-year yearly sacrifice of fragrant sacrifice to the emperor. I'm not sure how they kept tabs, whether whether they showed up that day to do the the worship and the sacrifice of of fragrant offering to the Roman leader every year, or if they marked it down, or if they just knew because they weren't there able to do it. But they began to be persecuted seriously in these two cities because of, of this ritual, because of this worship. Now here in this passage, we have the fact that they were being persecuted by Jews, right? And now when you look about back into history at the early church, at the very beginning, they were considered just a sect of the Jewish religion, and so they weren't persecuted. But now it's been several years, and now they are recognized as something distinct, different than the Jewish religions. The Jews never, right? They followed Paul around. They wanted him to, to agree with them that following Jesus and grace was not sufficient. You had to go back to the Old Testament and you had to be circumcised. You had to do this. But here, there are two totally different groups and the Jews were involved in ratting them out and involved in some of this persecution. And so it goes on into this passage in verse 9, tribulation. They had received persecution already, right? They were poor or they had received poverty. They most likely had already suffered by not being allowed to work 
in good jobs or, or trade in the market, or maybe it was because they were suffering from mob attack or riots caused by uh, some of them, in part by the Jews who were there. And maybe they've lost material possessions, housing, food, or clothing. Regardless, they were poor, and yet it says you were rich, right? Rich spiritually. But they were poor because of their faith. Now, who were these Jews who were involved in ratting them out or involved in the direct persecution? They could have been religious, maybe even Hellenistic, maybe not Hellenistic Jews. They may have just been descendants of Jews, whether they were religious or not. I think most likely they were religious but Paul declares in Romans 2, 28 and 29, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. These people should have turned to their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, but they had not, and so therefore they were even persecuting, like Paul, who was Saul be, before he became a believer, was persecuting the Christians. And, and in this passage it says they're blasphemy, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews. So they thought they were doing what is right, but they were doing the exact opposite, just like Saul had done, or Paul, right? And really, this is a horrible and most grievous judgment against them. And then he goes on, they're a synagogue of Satan. They thought they were the pure religion, but they were blasphemous. They were gathering, they were a gathering guided by Satan. Ooh, harsh, right? Has anybody else ever said anything that harsh to, to those who were religious Jews? John eight forty four, right? Jesus said, you are of your father the devil and you, ha- and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he's a liar and the father of lies. So the proved were to be brave and face persecution like a true believer. Bear up under the pressure. The second observation is that they were the admonished, right? They're, they're going to get a warning. They're warned. Jesus is giving them a commanding caution or warning. So what does he say here? Verse 10, I think this is the main verb, and it's not just the main verb uh, of the several, two, there's several different sentences here, but if I were to pick out one of the main verbs of one of the sentences, it would be this one, do not fear. <laughs> I think this whole passage, is, passage hinges on this command. Now, the other churches had commands as well to correct errors, but this church only had a, a charge to not fear. They were going to have more terrorizing situations, but they should move forward boldly. Was there something to fear? Did he say, oh, there's nothing to fear? No. Oh, there's something you could be scared about. But don't fear. Don't fear even though there's testing that is coming. 
God allowed the testing. Who does the testing here? Or who tries to do the destruction? Satan. Satan was the culprit. Satan seeks to destroy the saints, the church. Not only does he blind the minds of the unbelieving, not only does he seek to weaken the doctrine of good and bad churches, both, doesn't he? But but he is behind the destruction of the lives of believers. He is, even to today. He says, okay, continue on. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. But before that, it says, so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Now, there's a lot of different thoughts on this, but I'll just say, grammatically, if in a passage, even if there's a lot of symbolism in the passages around, or sentences behind. If there's no symbolism in this verse or in this statement or in this phrase and there's no calling for it, don't take it that way. I believe it was a literal 10 days. Now, it could have been. Some say, well, it meant, it meant it's going to be a short time. I think it was a literal 10 days, and I think they saw it soon after they got the letter. Within years. Within 10 years. Within five years. But I also believe there was persecution time and time again that would come in waves in Smyrna. Because Polycarp faced a similar situation. Some will be thrown into prison, others persecuted. It would be short, it would be intense, it would be happen. You may die, but be faithful. They had been faithful, but they needed to continue to do it. And they needed to be encouraged to continue to keep their eyes on the Lord Jesus and press on. So, as the title says, (laughs) unsettling encouragement, right? Wouldn't that be unsettling? Hey, you're doing great. Not only do I want you to just bear under the pressure, but hey, you just might lose your head. Oh, great, thank you. You want me to stand here holding this? Want me to bear under the pressure and let them do that to me? Do not fear. Pretty unsettling to me. But they were encouraged to be brave and to face their persecution, keeping their eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. The final observation in this passage, and I know there's a lot more that we could get into, is that they need to be emboldened. Emboldened. End of verse 10, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Praise the Lord. Reminds me of John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Verse 11 here. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now we see this phrase several times, just as we see at the beginning, of a portion or a part of the vision of uh, from what Paul or pardon me, John had seen at the beginning, a vision of Christ, and it's supposed to say, "Hey, this is serious information, and you need to pay attention. You need to be awake, and you need to continue to trust in your your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ." So listen up. (laughs) Be emboldened. So Jesus is emboldening them with a promise. 
That is, he's given them confidence to do something through his promise. And what's the first promise here? The, the promise of eternal life again. The crown of eternal life. Now there's a lot of discussion on what this crown could have been. Uh, and some say, no, those guys are crazy because there's a lot of things that could derive from pagan rituals around. Some guys say, uh, no, we don't believe that. A lot of them simply believe it, it refers back to the end of a game or running in the races, the Roman or the Greek games, the Roman games, and receiving that little uh, leaf crown that they get for running. But regardless, they receive eternal life. They receive the reward of eternal life. They have run the race with perseverance, right? Hebrews. Do we underestimate the wonderful blessing that we have, the surety of eternal life? We have eternal life now, so when we believe in Jesus, we have life now, and it goes on forever in the Lord Jesus Christ, as opposed to eternal death. So there's, there's eternal life as opposed to no further harm. At some point, there will be no further harm. Because look at verse 11. He who has an ear, okay, listen up at the end of it. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Huh. So what is, what is being said here? Well, judgment will come to all who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second death is eternal condemnation in the sea of fire. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and, the, and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So, first I want to say there's some distinction between the church. We will be with the Lord. We'll not have to go through the tribulation. There's going to be tribulation saints who will die. But there's also some who will go through and they'll never take the mark of the beast. And they will be able to go into the millennial reign of Christ. Regardless, all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will not have the taste of the second death. Revelation 21 verse 8 but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, and, uh, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is, we have a definition of the second death. It says, which is the second death? Revelation, that was Revelation 21.8. Jumping back a little bit, Revelation 20.14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So today, there's the first death. We, we may taste of the first death. Though you may die, yet shall you live, right? But we will immediately be in the presence of the Lord Jesus in paradise. Anyone who's believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who, who die and have never placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will be in Hades or hell. 
they will be resurrected as well at the end and cast with, into the sea of fire along with death and Hades. They will have resurrected bodies, new bodies to endure torment for all of eternity. A biblical view of life understands it's not just a hell, but it's hell and then the second death. And in that view, we need to understand that God has done something great so that we could all be forgiven and have eternal life, not eternal death. There is no such thing as as their souls ever being extinguished or gone, it will be for all of eternity. And so we have to press forward. And even if we are facing like Smyrna, like our brothers and sisters over in other nations today, even if we have to face possible death or beatings, horrendous things. And I think, I think of... Iran, and I was listening to the news, and, and there's young women who are, are out there on the streets. They're defying the government, uh, the soccer team. They didn't sing the national anthem because they're being persecuted. The women are subjugated to horrible things. And some of these young girls, and they're saying they're from 13 years on up who are marching, and there's horrible things other than dying immediately that's happening to these kids i pray that they know jesus but they're standing up so that they could have freedom oh i pray that they'll stand up so that they can have freedom from sin freedom from judgment for eternity i pray that they know jesus how horrible would it be to be persecuted for something and yet spend eternity in hell and this and the second death So we need to pray for those people in Iran, as well as many other countries, whether they're believers or not. We want all to know Jesus. And so for as a believer, hey, it doesn't matter. We have all of eternity with the Lord Jesus in a wonderful, glorious place. Amen? So we can be emboldened to hang on and continue to live for Jesus every day, especially here. We don't face near what our brothers and sisters face. But sometimes that just lulls us to sleep, doesn't it? So I guess the challenge for us today, no matter what you're facing, whether you're facing things that are very, that can cause great fear, or if you're facing things that's, eh, whatever. The humdrums of life. Maybe you're facing pain or physical disabilities or, or hurts. Press on. Do not fear. Walk with your Savior. Live for Him and point others to Him. You know, this church is one of the few. They have been purged through persecution, and so there is the, the only things we find here that were negative is a, hey, you're going to face more persecution, so be brave. Are we aware of the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we awake to what's going on in this world? I hope so. Are we aware of the needs in our neighborhood, in our rural setting? Are we reaching our friends, our neighbors, those who are not friends with the love of Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be insightful 
to have insight as to what uh, you're calling us to do, that we would be a powerful light in these seven churches, the group together, these local churches were to be lampstands. They were lampstands reflecting your glory, your light. Help us as a church, as a group, to reflect your glory, your love, your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the many blessings. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities. So help us as we go out to take advantage of those blessings and opportunities and to share them, to share the love of Christ, the blessings with others. Help us, Lord, as we go through uh, difficulties in our own lives, um, frustrations, uh, problems of, of various kinds, not to be too distracted, not to be too down, not to be in too much pain that we aren't able to look around and, and to declare uh, how great you are. Thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, all that you've given, and, and we do ask for um, your continued provision and some moisture, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.